You are listening to College Success Habits with Jesse Mogul, episode 134. Let's get to the show. Oh, this show's the best. The best show. Best show. Best show ever. Welcome to the College Success Habits podcast. Do you want to triumph through school and have a little fun along the way? Learn habits to help you attain better productivity and hacks to help you slide through classes at any age. Here's your host, college circuit speaker, Jesse Mogul. Welcome back to College Success Habits. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and as always, it is an honor and a privilege to have you here today. Episode 134, one of my favorite numbers is the number 34, mainly because of a sport athlete by the name of Walter Payton. So this is a very special episode, at least number-wise for me, so I planned a very special episode for you all based on the content that I believe is going to help you understand how you are making meaning of your college experience, how you have made meaning of your high school experience, how you will continue to make meaning throughout your entire life. You have core human needs that you are seeking to fulfill at an unconscious level. Today, we're going to bring them into your conscious awareness. I'm not going to show you how you have been attaching these core human needs to your life. I'm going to bring into your awareness that these core human needs exist. From there, you will automatically be able to say, yep, that's where that was being fulfilled, and nope, that's where that was definitely not being fulfilled. High school, at least here in the States, and again, I've got a worldwide audience, but I would have to be willing to bet you shove a bunch of hormonal kids into a walled off, I mean, it's an education prison uh, for the most part. Let's just face it, the way that we've sort of locked down some of these schools now, you know, elementary school, we're all just sort of goo-goo-ga-ga. We don't really have much of a clue, but you get to middle school and the hormones start to kick in. Your emotional intelligence begins to to be tested at a level that was not previously even understood by your brain. And then you take all that emotional intelligence that hopefully you were taught by the people closest to you, but I'm going to go ahead and assume more than likely you were not because that tends to be the kind of society we have. Emotionally unintelligent people raising emotionally unintelligent people. It just, it's the way it's been for millennia since the dawn of time. And we're working on mental health becoming more of a factor in the way that we raise children, the way that we uh, support one another in society, realizing that physical health is great. Mental health has a lot more to do with your overall uh, health, overall happiness in life. You can be jacked and have all the muscles you want or have the killer body that's featured on magazine covers, but if inside your own mind you're just destroying yourself, then that's where you see models with anorexia. That's where you see bodybuilding men shooting up steroids uh, because nothing is ever enough. So physically, they look amazing. Mentally, not so much. And this has been happening for years and years and years. Like I said, millennia since the dawn of time, we just weren't as willing to discuss it like we are now. So when we discuss core human needs, you have already been fulfilling these in one way or another, uh, merely bringing them into your awareness. Because one of the more important factors, one of the reasons I really launched this show was because I had launched one about sobriety and recovery, and I realized had someone like me talked to me, maybe I would have listened. 
I don't know. It was the mid-90s. The internet hadn't even really been invented yet, right? So the amount of information you have at your disposal now, the amount of information you take in in one week is equal to how much information somebody in the 17 or 1800s, basically any time before now, it is literally the amount of information they would take in in one lifetime. In one lifetime, you are taking in one week. Now, that could seem preposterous, and you can Google this, and it's definitely shown up on, on enough sites that it's not fake news, that it, it has enough scientific background and, and uh, research done on it. It says, because of our phone, because of the internet, because of our ability to basically learn anything at any point in time, the tens of thousands of inputs that come in through the phone or through s- social media, the internet, we are literally taking in more information in a week than every human ever had in their entire lives previous to today. Now, that's insane. Is it any wonder that our mental health has begun to suffer? Let me take that back. Our mental health has been suffering. Is it any wonder it's finally being talked about? Now, whether you want to be on the extreme left or extreme right, as far as politics goes on this, you could have your own different theories. We're going to meet here in the middle, here in rational land. Rational land over here is where we can hear both sides, and we can understand that everybody has their own unique perspective on the world based on their experiences. And their experiences are going to be different than yours. Even if they spent their entire lives side by side next to you, their brains will not have taken in the world the same way that your brain will have. Therefore, it is not fair to you or anyone else to say, well, you know, my childhood was worse than yours, so why are you an addict? Or why are you this, that, or the other? And I'm not. So now I'm better than you, or now I'm worse than you. That's where the conversation stops. The conversation doesn't get to move past this, my life was worse or my life is better based on what I've experienced. It's, it, there, where is the connection there? Where is the sense of community? We've gotten ourselves, at least the far left and right, and, you know, and I'm sure for my worldwide listeners, I'm very up, up to date on worldwide news, there are extremists on both sides. But if we meet here in the middle in rational land and we start talking about the core human needs that we're all seeking to fulfill, we're all seeking to achieve in our lives, it really becomes apparent to all of us when we, are, when we have these brought into our awareness that we're all just seeking to achieve the same things. We're just going about it a different way. And everybody's way is their way. And it's no better or worse than someone else's. You could look at somebody in a skyscraper in New York City or Singapore or Hong Kong and think, man, they've got life figured out. And meanwhile, they're isolated, they're alone, nobody in their family likes them, they constantly are afraid of losing their wealth, so they work themselves to death. There could be a whole slew of things going on in that person's life. Just because they're wearing a Cartier watch or they take private jets everywhere does not mean that their life is perfect. Any more than looking at somebody who would live in the slums or the ghetto or, you know, uh, a broken down trailer park with, you know, cars up on blocks in their front yard. Any more than looking at them and saying, well, their life clearly sucks. We have no idea how much love they might be surrounded by, how much certainty they might have in their safety in, in the community that they've developed, how much significance and contribution they're able to be a part of simply because of where they live. We, we really don't know. And most of the people don't know what is going on inside of them. They are unconsciously led from, from decision to decision to moment to moment without any real 
recourse without any real understanding of what is driving them. So today we're going to discuss what drives you. Because what drives you at your core human needs, at that unconscious level, this is where you're making decisions. You're not even realizing how many decisions that you're making without even consciously being aware of the decision that needs to be made in the moment. You're just You'll get up and make a cup of coffee and pick up your phone. Next thing you know, you're on TikTok and then you're texting a friend and then you're putting on clothes and you're going to the school and you're sitting down in class. And it's all these patterns. It's all these habits you've established. So your brain can basically just be on autopilot. We've talked about this, how we just trance through life. It's not our fault that this is happening. It's just the way our brain desires to work. It wants to use as little energy as possible to get us through our day-to-day life because its sole responsibility is to keep us alive. Your brain wants to keep you alive. The thriving part, the surviving part, that's all subjective perspective. As far as the brain's concerned, if it has your heart pumping, and it's helping you digest the food you introduce to it, it's doing its job. It's when the mental aspect, it's when the mind, it's when that psychology starts to come in that we begin to judge whether our life is good or bad, right or wrong, rather than just step stopping and stepping back and saying, okay, what is really happening here? What core human need am I seeking to fulfill that ultimately will lead me to either a desirable outcome or an undesirable outcome? Now, these core human needs were popularized by the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. They were popularized by uh, Robert Dilt and Dilt's Pyramid. The ones we're going to discuss today were really brought to the forefront by, a, um, by uh, Tony Robbins. And most of you have heard of Tony Robbins because he's, you know, whether you want to call him inspirational or motivational speaker, whatever you would like to call him, whatever your opinions about him are, he has done some amazing work in opening people's minds up to the strength and the power that they have within. I think his first book was actually called Awakening the Giant Within. He's all about people stepping into themselves and stepping into their highest sense of self. I certainly would listen to him for a long time before I ever even got into this industry simply because I love the way that he talked. I love the way that he pumped me up. But inspiration has an expiration date. I can motivate you to pay attention to these core human needs we're going to discuss today, but I cannot make you, I cannot motivate you to actually utilize them to fuel you toward where you actually want to go rather than having him take you down a path you will not be happy with. If I would have known a little bit more about these human needs when I first started college, perhaps I would have made better decisions and not gotten into drugs and alcohol at the rate I did. I would have seen how my fraternity was actually trying to bring about more desirable outcomes for me rather than pushing back at them and then going off and hanging out with the riffraff who made sure that I felt included and I made sure that I kept filling them with drugs and alcohol. It was it was very much an interesting dichotomy to me. I'm not even sure if that's the right word. It was, it was a very interesting situation to be able to go back and use these core human needs and ask myself, what was I being fulfilled through? Why was I seeking to, to fulfill myself a certain way? So we're going to discuss how your mind organizes your life the way that it does. What is fueling you to join certain organizations or taking certain classes? How is your mind making meaning of the life that you're living? How can you focus your energy on desirable outcomes? And what if you start going down an undesirable path? 
What can you do right now to get yourself back on a desirable track? I've had the honor of being a guest speaker um, and an expert on NBC and Fox and through various rather large companies, the Disney's and Metal International and the Live Nations and places like that, because I can go in there and I can talk to them about leadership and I can talk to them about addiction because addiction runs fervent through our culture. It runs fervent through most cultures whether it's an addiction to alcohol or sadness or just holding on to traumas from wars from the past, cultures have a societal trauma that they hold on to. The Americas have their own, right? Hell, America, the United States of America is, is still trying to heal some of its traumas from the past, i.e. the Civil War, the American Revolution, the way we've treated each other, whether it's the African Americans, whether it's the Japanese Americans. We've had to apologize to people for our treatment of them in the past, but now we're in the present. So what can we do in the present to begin to help one another fulfill our human needs in a way that rises the entire society up? A rising tide raises all boats. But the way we're going about it right now is if we're literally trying to crash our boats into one another to sink the other person as if that's going to make society better. So here's your six core human needs, and I'm going to put these in the show notes so that you don't have to necessarily write them down if you are currently walking, mowing the lawn, I don't know, whatever you do whenever you're listening to my show. But at the end of this, you're going to understand why did you do the things you do? Why do you do the things that you do? And why is everybody else doing the things they're doing? And why do they do the things that they did? It's all part of these core human needs. That no matter how unique we all are, our brain, our bodies, our entire existence is seeking to fulfill these core human needs. So while we're all going to go about it in very infinitely unique ways, it's still the same core human needs being sought after. Different circumstances, events, and moments and things in our lives, yeah, awesome, great. We know that's happening. No two people, even waking up in the same apartment, will have the same experience of that apartment in the morning before they go to class. Brothers and sisters will talk about their parents when they're in their 20s and 30s, and it's like they, have, it's like they had completely different parents, but yet they didn't. They had the same parents. They experienced it differently, which sought out a new way, a different way for them to fulfill their core human needs. Now, there's a lot of stuff that we could talk about when it comes to this, but the one of the, I also am very mindful of the fact that I don't want us to go all willy-nilly into um, this and turn it into an hour-long show. If you would like to dive more into this and understand how you create the world that you live in within your mind and then you live it externally, and absolutely, if you'd like to dive into the human needs further, that's what this month's hub is about. For those of you who aren't aware, I created an entire uh, Wise Mind Empowerment Hub It is amazing. I call it the tribe. It's a membership site for less than a couple cups of coffee a month. It's literally less than $10 a month. You guys have access to these amazing trainings that I've put on where we dive in deeper to this material. And in the six human needs, these core human needs, we're going to be discussing those in May this month in the tribe because last month we discussed how you create your life inside your mind and then you experience it and live it externally. Right When people walk away from the first course, they, they're like, wow, I, I never was able to see my life at this level before. 
I can actually step outside of myself when I'm having certain experiences and realize the way that I'm behaving or the way that I'm interacting with this person isn't beneficial to either one of us. I can stop in my tracks. I can, I can stop being angry. I can stop wanting to fight with people. I can stop wanting to do all of these undesirable things, and I can actually start to shift them around, realizing that we're, that we're all just trying to experience one another in a beneficial way. It's absolutely profound. I love, love, love discussing the psychology of the mind because it ties back to mental health. How have you been experiencing your high school life that led you to depression or to an eating disorder or to addiction while you were in high school? The very first month of The Hub discusses how you have created that life for yourself. In month two, this month, we're going to be discussing the core human needs because these are your motivators. The reason you do the things you do is because of these human needs. You are fulfilling them in one way or another. Or if they're not being fulfilled, it's pushing you to go find a way to fulfill them. And that could lead you down a bad path. For me, I had, well, you know what? Let's, let's dive into these. And I'm going to walk you through how these showed up in my life and how I ultimately was led toward a life of addiction for 22 years because of the way I was seeking to fulfill these core human needs. So here is the core human needs. The very first one is certainty. The second one is variety or uncertainty. The third one, significance. Fourth one, love and connection. The fifth one, growth. And the sixth one, contribution. Now, let's dive into these further. Certainty. What is certainty to a human being? Very simply put, certainty is understanding um, that safety, that security. It's the avoidance of pain and the seeking of pleasure in whatever form that might be for you. For me, when I remember seeking to avoid pain and um, and the avoidance of pain and the seeking of pleasure when I was a kid, my mom had Crohn's disease. My dad was a workaholic. To avoid the pain of you know of having my daddy issues not being met because my dad was always gone, played a lot of video games. I became attached to my mother's hip because she was always sick. So I wanted to help her and be a part of her disease and her health. And so the seeking of pleasure came from being a mommy's boy, from being mommy's little helper. Uh, then I would play a ton of video games or I collected baseball cards. I didn't have very much of a father figure around me and we moved around basically every year. So being in sports wasn't necessarily my thing because I wasn't talented enough to just show up in a new school system and immediately be desired by the coach. There was no, there was no talent in me that was being procured by my father on Saturday afternoons. Nope, 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 nope. He would go to work. So in order to avoid pain and seek pleasure, I would attach myself to my mom's hip. I would help her around the house. I'd be, at a very young age, I sort of became the father, you know, the, ma- the male aspect of the house. When I went off to college, I started looking for certainty, the avoidance of pain and the seeking of pleasure because my parents had gotten divorced. And my whole world had been rocked. My mom moved far away. She wasn't coming to visit me at college. Of course, dad was a workaholic, so all he did was send money. So as I started to seek safety and stability and security, a control, a predictability, an order, a consistency around my college experience, I joined a fraternity. 
And the fraternity was very much in a, in, a, in a space. We had gotten into a tremendous amount of trouble the year before I arrived. So they were anti-hazing, and they were really against binge drinking and any kind of drug use, but not me. I wanted that party lifestyle. We had moved around every single year that I was in high school, or I'm sorry, every single year I was in school. It took me like 12 schools to even get to college. So we were constantly moving. And because I, I lacked that stability, that certainty from being in the same school system, having the same friends, I was always the new kid. And I didn't like being the new kid. So when I got to college, I decided I don't want to be a wallflower anymore. I want to be popular. I want to be cool. I want chicks to dig me and dudes to want to you know, go out and play sports with me. And again, I sucked at sports, but I wanted to be involved. I wanted to be on teams. I wanted to be in that fraternity. So I sought after the safety and the stability that being in this fraternity would provide, but I also stepped out of it because they wanted me to be a bookworm and I wanted to be a party animal. And that's where we start to discuss the uncertainty and the variety aspect. So all of a sudden now I'm a party animal. I'm going to parties all the time. There's that variety of meeting all these new women and hanging out with different cool dudes. And it was just what music are we going to listen to? What drugs are we going to do? How much are we going to drink today? It all became about exotic. How could I have all of this variety in my life? I could have had the certainty of going to class every single day, getting good grades. My variety could have been learning new things, meeting new people in class, getting into study groups. But I chose to go the opposite way because I believed that I needed to be uh, a social animal. I needed to be out there and I I needed people to know me. I wanted people talking about the parties I was at on Monday morning and I wanted to be invited to the parties on Friday and Saturday that everybody would be talking about on Monday. That was just my thing. That's what I wanted. So seeking safety, stability, security, predictability. Look back at your high school life. How were you doing that then? How are you doing it now in college? The certainty that you seek, this stability, this predictability, this order, that's why class schedules are the way they are. That's why teachers give out syllabuses. That's why we have these strategies and these calendars that we follow because we're seeking control in what really amounts to a a bit of a chaotic world. Especially now. Boy, I thought life was chaotic in the mid-90s and early 2000s. It is way beyond that now. With this supercomputer in our pocket, there are inputs coming at us. It just, it's like we're being, it's like we're the moon when the universe or when this galaxy and the solar system was first, you know, devised. We're the moon, we're Mars, we're, we're Earth, just being bombarded by just 126 million asteroids a second. How can we possibly even begin to organize all that information? We can't. And actually, it's 2.3 million asteroids a second are flying at you. And your conscious mind can only handle 126 bits of those, right? And if it takes 60 bits to just have a conversation with someone, your mind cannot actually consciously do much. So most things are done unconsciously. So when you start to seek certainty, you start to seek variety, you start to seek uncertainty in your high school, college experience at home, you want to be asking yourself, where are you finding your safety, your stability, your security, your consistency? Because if you're finding it at the bar, if you're finding it at, at, at your drug buddy's house, if you're finding it with the chaotic men or women that you date in your life, because you feel like you need to have exotic, you need to somehow be able to recreate the Kardashian's life in your own life, then you're going to be bringing so much chaos, so much unknown, so many pushing of the limits and the testing of the boundaries that you're going to find yourself imbalanced. 
This imbalance that we talk about from the certainty and the uncertainty um, core human needs is going to lead you to feeling uh, bored if it's t- if your life's too certain, or a feeling of or a sense of chaos in your life if there's too much variety and too much uncertainty. We want challenges. We want surprises, excitement, difference. We want a little bit of chaos and adventure. We want change. But if we're constantly pushing ourselves so deep into the variety and uncertainty, then what we ultimately end up doing is we our, our internal clock, our internal barometer is going to be like, I don't feel enough security. I don't feel enough safety. I just want things to be calm. No matter how much you enjoy traveling, at some point you just want to go home, take all your clothes out of the suitcase, and just sit your ass on your own couch and watch your own TV. No matter how much you enjoy traveling, at some point you just want to nest. So where in your own college experience, high school experience, hell, if you're um, a non-traditional student, you've got a whole different life that I could be bringing into this, so I'll let you do it on your own. Where are you bringing variety and uncertainty into the mix as far as uh, your life and where is certainty showing up? When you go to class, when you do these things, there's a certainty to how the class is going to play out. The variety could be about how you're going to learn things, how you're going to apply them, how you're going to integrate them into your life and then evaluate your outcomes. There's so much good that can come from these, but if you start to seek them outside yourself through social um, avenues, through drinking, through drugs, through uh, you know joining one of those alt-right or alt-left groups that wants to stand up and scream at other people about how they're not living their life right, you're definitely going to have variety and uncertainty in there, and it can definitely provide you stability and security and safety knowing that you're around people who think like you. But again, the paradox here is that if you have an imbalance, you might actually feel your life is too chaotic right? You might burn yourself out. So ask yourself, where is certainty and uncertainty playing its role in your college and life experience in general? So then we get to the third one where we have significance. Now, the certainty need, homeless people are having a hard time being able to to accumulate that in their life, right? Those those certainties that we want, uh, water, food, shelter, warmth, if people don't have those on lockdown, then the likelihood that they're ever going to be able to, to work their way up through these other core human needs is highly unlikely. There's going to be so much uncertainty, so much chaos to living on the street that they can't be thinking about all these other ones. It's like, how am I going to eat today? But when we start getting into significance and love and connection, this is how we begin to fulfill the certainty and the uncertainty need through other people. We can only fulfill things so much within ourselves before we start to turn to the tribe. And whether you're in a fraternity house or a sorority house or you're homeless on the streets or you have a family of five and you've got two jobs and two mortgages and three cars and 7.2 dogs, whatever it might be, There's only so much you're able to achieve on your own. No one lives inside of a bubble. There is all of these other people that are also around that are affecting your life in one way or another. And this is where the core human needs, number three and four, come in, significance and love and connection. When we're seeking significance, that feeling of being special, of important, of unique, of needed, this is where I joined the fraternity. I wanted to feel special, important, unique, needed. I want to be able to walk into a fraternity house and have everybody know my name. We used to have a saying, brothers by chance, friends by choice. It was not It was not a directive to be a friend with every single person in your fraternity house. That was going to be very unlikely if there was over 100 people in there. Shit, that would be unlikely if there was 20 people in there. 
I don't like everybody, so why would I expect everybody to like me? I don't necessarily hate or dislike people, but there's just some that I gravitate to more than others. So when I joined the fraternity and I wanted to be socially active and I wanted to be out there meeting chicks and hanging out with dudes and playing sports and going to the gym or eating hot dogs on a Saturday watching college football, I was the kind of people I sought after. That's who I wanted to have significance with. The significance core human need is, is, it is actually creating this meaning in your life to be needed, wanted, desired, admired. You want to feel special, important, worthy of love. We want significance in our own houses as children, right? We want to come home and, I mean, you know, if you're a single, if you're an only child, you got a lot more significance in your parents' life than if you were the second, third, fourth, or fifth child. Because by that point, they were worn out. This is why this is why you know you can certain you can see a certain amount of selfishness and self-centeredness in the only child because they were literally their parents' world. They had all the significance to themselves. They didn't have to share it with anyone. Whereas if you're the fifth child, you absolutely know what it's like to share and you probably had to wear hand-me-downs. So the significance to be needed and wanted and desired, this is going to play a huge role in where you ultimately decide to join. Clubs, fraternities, sororities, social th- events uh, within your own family, how connected you feel. Right? If you feel like when you come home, nobody really cares to ask you about your day or even discuss what, how you feel, you're not going to have significance in your own home. So you're going to seek it outside of your house. If the people who come to you first willing to show you significance happen to be, um, let's say, let's just say the, the under the bleachers, cigarette smokers, pot smokers, right? If those are the first ones to say, hey, man, you're cool with us. We'll make you feel significant. Come over here and hang out with us. That's how you got led to that. Whereas if you were on a sports team and you swam or played baseball, basketball, football, and you were on a team, you have significance with that. So that could lead you down a good road unless the people you hang out with on the team are all of a sudden bringing drugs around you. Now all of a sudden you want to feel significant with them and you have to make the choice, do I want to feel significant with the drug doers on the team or those over here getting straight A's? You have to make that choice. And that's where love and connection comes in, the fourth human core need. You want to feel close to people. You want to have legitimately strong bonds with your family, your friends, your inner circle, and absolutely with the person you choose to be romantically involved with. You want to have this deep communication, approval. You have an attachment to them, whether it's healthy or unhealthy as a subjective perspective, but there's there's a desire to have attachment, connection, loved, Right, No matter how strong and burly a man might think he wants to be, there's a part of us that wants to be vulnerable, that wants to be able to cry during Benji or you know, be able to be sad and cry in front of our partner or our friends when a loved one dies or when we get fired from a job or we don't win something that we wanted to win or we don't achieve the promotion we wanted to achieve. If we don't have intimate relationships with others, and intimate is not always romantic, it just means like deep, vulnerable, loving, connection-oriented relationships, this is where you find men being told to push it down and man up, right? And this is all of a sudden, then you've got dads raising boys, don't cry, cry on sissy, cry on for girls, you got to be a man up, man up, man up, right? Then we're taught to push our feelings down deeper and deeper and deeper, and then we go off and want to have a romantic relationship, and that person is asking for us to be intimate, connected, loving, vulnerable, right? And then all of a sudden, it's like, I wasn't taught to be that way, 
you know, and now all of a sudden I've got this partner who's asking that of me. This is where, you know, the men are from Mars, women are from Venus thing is that it's like we're raised differently. You know, wear your emotions on your sleeve for a woman. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be vulnerable. Men are told to stand up and buck it up. Even more confusing emotionally would be for those who were born um, homosexual or transgender and have all of these other things coming at them on top of already the, the whole man versus woman versus Mars and Venus dichotomy. Maybe that's the best word, use for the word dichotomy right there. Um, you've got this whole the interplay happening. And we're already not emotionally intelligent enough to be able to direct in a desirable way. And now all of a sudden you start throwing in, um, you know, different sexual energies, different emotional needs from different people. And now we're definitely, definitely as a world, not prepared for the, the shifting in society that is occurring right now. I mean, it was not right for anybody to have to hide in a closet for decades and decades in their whole life, but it certainly is difficult for society to be able to embrace what is actually happening right now because things are being brought out into the forefront. So we're seeking vulnerability, we're seeking intimacy, but we're not being raised to even begin to understand what vulnerability and intimacy really are. This unconditional love that people talk about isn't actually something that most people do. Their love is very conditional. There's judgments attached to it. There's desires. There's expectations. There's previous frustrations about how needs weren't met. And now people are bringing that into the relationship. You know, and whether they say, I don't, I don't have any baggage. Everybody's got something because we've all had so many experiences that are already directing us at an unconscious level. Just because you don't know you're carrying around a bunch of baggage doesn't mean it's still not there. So when you're seeking love and connection in your high school, college, in your, in your adult life, how are you seeking it? Because if you're not getting it from good sources, you're going to figure out a way to get it from any source. And the easiest social circle to join is the addiction one. If you show up with money and the ability to get booze and drugs and keep everybody well fed on addiction materials and buzzed, man, they will, they'll keep you around until you can't help keeping them do that. This is where you get those druggies and alcoholics who use people because they're just looking for something in the moment that's going to keep them going on the path that they want. Their brain has already discovered, hey, if I hold somebody up to significance, if I, if I connect with them and show them some love, they might bring around a 24-pack of beer and a bag of drugs. So I'm going to be really cool with that person because they've shown the propensity to get me high if I show them attention. This is where you see, you know, supermodel-esque women uh, in their 20s marrying 80-year-old dudes. They got a ton of money. They're significant in this old dude's life. They feel somewhat love and connected, but they certainly know there's a certainty there that they will be financially set for the rest of their life. And because of this money, now they can have variety and uncertainty with all the cool traveling and all this jazz. So whenever you start to see you know, somebody who is way younger dating somebody who's way older, you understand it's just them fulfilling their core human needs. You can judge it however you decide to judge it. It's still their life. They can live it however they want. In 20, 40, 60, 80 years, we all end up in the ground anyways. And so what's it matter to them what you think of them now? <laughs> what's it matter to you what anyone thinks of you now? You're going to seek your significance and love and connection in the way you desire it. You have to have the ability to step back and ask yourself, is this actually the way that I want to be fulfilling this core human need? An imbalance in your significance and love connection can result in feeling isolated, 
by this drive to be important in people's lives, but then lacking the real genuine connections with any one person. So ask yourself, are you constantly seeking significance through a wide array of channels, thus leaving yourself feeling isolated and alone? You know, I was watching this show called Blacklist last night, and the lead character, Red Reddington, Raymond Reddington, was on was saying this line, and he's like, you know, you have thousands of people working under you. You have thousands of people you rely on to run your business, but at the end of the night, you're alone. And that's really sad to think that no matter how much we seek to have this love and connection and significance with people, in the end, we are lying in bed, falling asleep. And even if somebody is next to us, we're still alone in our own minds. It's still just us in there. So how are you talking to yourself? How are you supporting yourself in your own mind? If you don't connect and love yourself and have significance with yourself for yourself, you're going to be seeking it externally. And it is a cup that cannot be filled. Once you've been able to lock down certainty and uncertainty and significance and love and connection, and, and once there's, there's a certain amount of fulfillment that you've sought there and been able to achieve, whether healthily or unhealthily, you're going to notice growth and contribution coming into play. And this is number five and six, and I'm going to get you all out of here on this. This growth, this expansion of your life beyond the known, beyond the comfortable, into this growth zone. This is why we go to college. This is why we take classes. This is why we listen to podcasts like this. We're seeking growth, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. This physical, uh, I'm sorry, this growth development, this personal development, this self-help kind of industry that's existed, it exists to fulfill this human need of growth. It's, there's a reason why so much about what sells and what's marketed to humans, especially in this country, is about adding something to your life. Are you physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually looking to grow somewhere? I've got this product for you. I mean, hell, even my Wise Mind Empowerment Hub is specifically built around getting you emotionally and mentally, spiritually, physically in a growth mode to be able to inspire you to say, look what, look where my life was, look where it's at now. If I can do it, anyone can do it. So come over here and watch my videos and learn from me and I will show you ways to grow. It's what everybody's doing neither good nor bad, no judgment here, but it's like everybody wants some level of growth. And if you're finding stagnation, if you're, if you're not feeling like you're growing, you're going to start to seek it somewhere. And then you have to ask yourself, are you seeking it in a healthy way? And that leads us to contribution. Your contribution need is being met when you have a sense of purpose, service, helping, supporting, encouraging, balancing, right? You're other people. You're externally focused. And like I went back and said earlier about homeless people, you know, it's like, okay, there's a lack of certainty. So can they do these other things? They're still fulfilling them, right? Like as soon as they get some food or they get some water, they get some shelter, they get some warmth, they find a cool corner that people can set up tents on. They'll let other people they know because they want a tribe around them. Right? They want that significance. Hey, you know, you found us a new park to be able to hang out in, or you found us a new corner to be able to get some food at, or get some money at so we could buy some food. There is a sense of contribution even at that level. And in fact, it's probably more important because everybody is in survival mode. Once you get into you know, more of a domesticated lifestyle, whether it be high school, college, and on beyond, right? I'm trying to bring in so many different um, 
different examples here to make sure that everybody feels included, but I think your mind is already wrapping around this. You're going to want to contribute at some level, even whenever you think you don't have enough to contribute, because that, because contribution is going to bring that significance need, that love and connection need in. So even when you have very little, there's still going to be a desire to connect and have significance in people's lives. And that's going to lead you to this contribution. Now, there are certainly people out there that even when they have a ton, don't want to share any of it, but there will be somebody that they'll be willing to share it with. It just may not be you. So as people have this growth, and again, we're all changing, we're all growing. Is it growing towards a desirable outcome or undesirable outcome? That's, that is completely a subjective perspective. Other people might look at it and say, oh, you know, you're making hundreds of millions of dollars and you don't share it with any of the foundations that could use it and you're a horrible person. And somebody else could say, hey, you made hundreds of millions of dollars and it's all your money. You do with it as you please. It's subjective perspective. Right? It's a person's perspective that is subjective. It's, not, it's, it's opinion-based. It's not objective, like a fact-based. There is a sun that warms this planet right? That is objective. It exists to warm the planet. Other things it does as well, yes, but that is a factual fact. The sun is in the sky. It warms our planet. That's objective, right? Subjective would be the fact that I use the word warm. Maybe it doesn't always warm the planet. It can be 10 degrees outside and the sun's in the sky and you're like, don't feel too freaking warm now. Well, let's take the sun out of the sky. Let's see how you feel then. Way colder, right? So, Subjective perspective about your contribution, it's all about you. And what is it you think that you're doing in order to contribute to your tribe? Right? We're, we're, we're seeking this sense of purpose. Passions are internal for you. Uh, you might have a passion for the guitar if you only play it in your basement by yourself. The moment you take it outside of that basement and you play it for other people, you have a purpose to bring them joy, to play them songs, to shift their emotional state. Music is an emotional state shifter. Put on a sad song, you can start to feel sad. Put on a lively song, you start to feel lively and happy. It's what it is. It's the beautiful thing about music. And so when we're starting to seek this contribution in our lives, when we start to ask ourselves, are we contributing to the tribe, to our family dynamic, to our social network? Are we giving beyond and outside of ourselves? Right? We want to care, serve, protect, love, honor other people. We want to bring balance into their lives. If you don't feel like you're very significant in your family and you don't feel like you're contributing, this might be where you have the surly, nasty aunt or uncle who comes around and just wants to constantly provoke, 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 provoke. Because bad attention is better than no attention. Right? If, if the kid can't get attention being good, then the kid will start to seek attention being bad. Right, And that contribution they're bringing to the family, that uncertainty, that chaos, like, oh God, what is little Jimmy going to do today? Right, That's fulfilling a, a human need. It may not be a good way of fulfilling the human need. Always wondering, oh my God, what, are this, what is this kid going to do today? But now, there's, now they feel significant in the family, even if it's coming from a negative reason. Right? Are they contributing in a positive way? No, but there's still a contribution to the family in the fact that they are now the center of the attention. Right. This is where, you know, the good kid will feel like, well, the bad kid always gets all the attention. Yes, because you're good. You sit there and study and you do the and you do the things that we would like you to be doing. Meanwhile, we've got little Hellion over here that we're constantly trying to keep out of jail. 
So how are you contributing to your groups, right? An imbalance in your growth and your contribution needs being met can result in feelings of stagnation or not being enough, absolutely can lead to people-pleasing, narcissism, exhaustion, burnout. When you go to join a club in the university system, and I'll absolutely get you out of here on this, you're seeking to fulfill certain needs. Right. If you if you're joining, you know, let's say you've always loved music, so you want to join the music appreciation club. Right. You're looking for some certainty. You know, when you go, there's going to be discussions about music and the playing of instruments. That variety. You never know what kind of song you're going to talk about that day, or what kind of song you all are going to play. Right. You show up with your instrument and you're ready to rock and roll. So now all of a sudden you feel significant because everybody wants you to show up with your trumpet. Right. Now you have significance in the group and because you're the trumpet player and there's a love and connection happening there because everybody's jamming together and smiling and having a good time and talking and being social with one another. You're feeling the personal growth, right? Physically, maybe you're not lifting weights while you're at this music appreciation club, but you're absolutely, um, you know, walking there, standing around. Your, your physical body is involved more than just sitting on a couch. Next thing you know, emotionally, you're connecting with everybody. So now your emotional needs are being grown and, and, and benefiting spiritually, which isn't, again, religious. It's all about morals, ethics, values, beliefs. You're surrounding yourself with people who are similar or not very similar, but you have this connection through music that allows you to get to know one another at a deeper level with maybe somebody you never would have interacted with before. This is why sports teams are so amazing, because they'll take people from all walks of life and put them on the same team with one goal, win. And you might have somebody from the inner city of Compton from Los Angeles, you know, playing next to somebody who was raised on a cornfield in Iowa. But they are there together as a team. They may not be best of friends, or they might be best of friends. And that's all going to be about fulfilling these core human needs. And so as you're at this music appreciation club, you're contributing, you feel this balance, you feel like when you're there, you're, you're contributing. If you start to dive away from this music appreciation club that you've joined, and you, you were excited about it, and then all of a sudden you started getting into it, and then you're like, you know what? I just don't think it's for me. I think I'm going to quit going. This is the crux of this entire podcast today. When you start to quit things, you can go back and ask yourself, where were, you, where were these human needs not being met? You're not going to keep going to the music appreciation if club if you don't feel like you are contributing and growing and feeling significant and feeling connection there and having certain levels of certainty and uncertainty being met. You just won't. So when you ask yourself, okay, Jesse, so I've listened to this entire podcast. What is it I was supposed to take away from it? These core human needs are what motivates you to continue doing things or what motivates you to quit doing things. And it's very simple. When you find yourself, oh, I've been a member of this you know, one club for 17 years. Why? Go back and see how all of these human needs were being met, and you will understand why you stayed in it for 17 years. If you were super excited to take up the trumpet, and you joined in a music appreciation club, and a week later you're like, screw this, I'm out, these human needs were not being met. Somewhere in your psychology, you got frustrated with the process and you weren't attaching the human needs in the way you wanted them to be attached and you decided to walk away from it. The, the, the core takeaway, insight to have from here is that all of us are seeking to fulfill these human needs in our lives. How are we fulfilling them? That is completely unique to each person. 
One person might like showing up and playing the trumpet and being in the corner and not really talking all that much. But as far as they're concerned, they don't need the love and connection, but they like the contribution. They like the significance. They might be a bit of a loner, but they enjoy the variety of not knowing what song they're going to play and the certainty of knowing that they meet every Wednesday at 730. They may not be necessarily seeking that love and connection from it, but they're still feeling a connection there. They're still in the band. They may not think they want it, but the human experience dictates that we all want to be part of something. We want to be in a tribe. And if we get ostracized by enough tribes, we'll just eventually go after whatever one will possibly take us. And this is how you find people in society on the fringes of the left and the right. This is how you find those people on those 10% of the extreme, right? Because they were like, they just kept getting ostracized and ostracized and ostracized. And at some point they were like, screw this. I'm going to find somebody who won't ostracize me. And if that means beating other people down, bullying, being a terrorist, whatever it means, if they can get their core human needs fulfilled that way, then that's the way they're going to go. We may not necessarily appreciate why they found themselves in that circumstance. We absolutely don't have to agree with the way that they are seeking to fulfill their core human needs. And this is where introducing people to new ways of achieving the unification of these core human needs in a more uplifting way can begin to change our society, can change the entire world. If you think kicking somebody off Twitter, ostracizing somebody out of the club, making somebody shut the hell up and go off and and live in their mom's basement, playing on the computer all day. If you think that's somehow going to make them stop wanting to be involved, stop wanting to have these core human needs figured out, you have not been paying attention. People are going to get these core human needs met one way or another. We can either ostracize them and push them into the fringes and into the shadows where they will just gather until they have enough power that they can come out feeling stronger, or we can begin to embrace these people into our society, find out what has happened in their lives that have led them to these kind of beliefs, opinions, and values, and we can figure out a way to integrate everybody in. Ostracizing is not the way to build our society. Exclusion of people because they don't believe the way we believe, because they're not fulfilling the core human needs the way we're fulfilling ours, is not the way to build a society. It is absolutely a way to start wars. We have a decision to make. We've had this decision to make for years now, but because the internet and social media has, has gained the attention and the power it has over our society, we have no choice but to change the way we behaved towards one another. These changes have happened so fast, we have not had the time for our brains to adapt. We have not had time for our brains to evolve, to figure this stuff out. So now we're having to do it on the fly. When you step back and you see somebody who's behaving undesirably, they they belong to a far left or far right wing conspiracy or whatever kind of thing, right? Just throwing out an example, somebody who's on the extreme Step back and ask yourself, how do I think that they are fulfilling their core human needs through this behavior? Go up and ask them. Talk to them. Be like, um, you know, I'm just really curious. You know, what is what is what is some of the the certainty you have around being involved in this? What is some of the uncertainty? I mean, there's better ways of asking the question that I'm going to do right now because we're coming up on 50 minutes and it's time to get out of here. But what's important is that you actually ask the questions and get to know why somebody does what they do. 
when we don't have communication, when we don't discuss with other people why they do the things that we do, we are assuming we know the answer in our head. Oh, because they just decided to hate everybody or they just think that they're better than everybody. You do not know that. You do not know that. They could have been bullied and hurt in their childhood. And so this is the way they've decided to strike out because they are trying to fulfill their human needs. And it's not the way you would fulfill them, but you are not the bar for which the entire world needs to set itself upon. You are not the standard. You are just one of the 7 billion cogs in this world that we live in. Humble yourself to realize that your way is not the best way. It is just a way. Trust me, if there's anybody who knows this, it's me. Not just because I spent 22 years in addiction, not just because I got into this industry to help other people achieve their best self, but I've listened to other people talk about stuff. I realize there's other great podcasts out there. I realize there's other amazing authors who've brought intense, awesome information to people. I am not the end-all, be-all. I am just one of a myriad of voices who I believe is seeking to uplift the world. How much ever attention I garner, how much ever significance, contribution, growth, variety, uncertainty, all of these things, I am seeking to fulfill those too. And when you can attach three or more of these core human needs to a behavior, it will either stick or it could become an addiction if it's undesirable behaviors. If you are, for me, in college, I was seeking to um, certainty of knowing that I had a friendship base always around. I was seeking variety in the parties I'd go to and the women I would meet. I was seeking significance in this addiction circle, these people who were always ready to party. I wanted to be significant and have love and connection to these people. So I would seek out any woman who, even no matter how bruised and battered they were, you know, emotionally in psychology. I was too. So, hey, let's love and connect about our mutual traumas, right? Even if I wasn't really growing, I was in my own head, I was growing in one way or another, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And I was contributing to my addiction crowd. I was, I was, I was contributing to the friends I was making at the bars. So I attached all six of my core human needs to my addiction, and I wrote it out for 22 years until I isolated myself so much from the world around me that these core human needs were no longer being fulfilled by my addiction, that I had now sunk so low that that was my rock bottom. Once I realized I can no longer fulfill my core human needs through my addiction, that's when I woke up in the bathtub, that's when I thought I was going to die, and that's when I chose to get sober. And now here we are over five years later and look at the life I've created for myself. And I've attached all of my core human needs to this podcast today. Every single one of my core human needs has been fulfilled by shooting this podcast today. Every single one of your core human needs is seeking fulfillment in the things that you do. Step back from what you are doing on a consistent basis and ask yourself what human needs are being fulfilled in this behavior, in this activity. Look back at the things that you've quit or you don't feel very comfortable doing or that you're not enjoying anymore and ask yourself, what core human needs are not being met through this activity? And then seek to find ways of attaching your core human needs to that activity if that's something that you want to keep doing. And if it's something you don't want to keep doing, stop attaching your human needs to it. And you will find that it just miraculously goes away. Start to fulfill them desirably in the undesirable ways you were fulfilling them will have no choice but to step aside. I love you guys.
Thank you so much for joining me. If you would like to know more about The Hub, go to jessemogul.com forward slash The Hub. We're diving into this straight up deep like. Month of May is going to be awesome, right? It is spring. Flowers are blooming, right? Well, at least it's spring here. If you guys are in the Southern Hemisphere, you're getting ready to, you're, you're closing up your fall and getting ready to roll up into winter, right? By the way, it's either spring and the flowers are blooming or you're going to be hibernating in the cold and it's either way, it's time to grow. The seed gets stronger in the winter for the sprout in the spring, or it's already been strong through the winter and now it's sprouting in the spring. Either way, my metaphor is totally crushing it, right? You can either spend the winter building yourself up so you can sprout and thrive in the spring, or you've already been doing that and now it's time to rock and roll. Either way, jessemogul.com forward slash the hub is the place where you can go learn more about how to be in touch with this material. I just seek to help people live a more desirable life, whatever that is for you. It's all subjective perspective. And now you know how you're attaching your core human needs to your activities. Now it's part of your awareness. Before you were just doing it unconsciously and now you consciously know you're doing it. And this is where inclusivity over exclusivity actually has a part in this conversation, like it always does. But this is so powerful. When you understand how you utilize your six human needs and the things that you do or don't do, you can now be more empathetic about how other people have attached their human needs to what they do or don't do. This is inclusivity over exclusivity at its best. The power of positive energy, my friends. Release it and may your life flow. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. 